What's up, guys? It's a new week and another week of the WGT closest to the whole challenge is over. This week's winner of a free DNVR shirt or gift card to a local restaurant is Donnie. Donnie, if you are out there, go ahead and email in to lindsay at thednvr.com. That's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y at thednvr.com to claim your prize. He got it within .67 feet of the hole last week. Pretty impressive. Not a hole in one, but that was one of the harder holes we've done so far. So given, given a lot of submissions that we had, um, we honestly going from a weekend, which I think we had three or four different aces to a week where we had like four hole submissions that were inside 10 feet. Right. It got significantly tougher and putting it nearly in the hole was good enough to win this one for Donnie. So congratulations to him. For everybody else, it's a new week, another chance to enter, another chance to win, and another ticket for the grand prize. As always, go to FreeWGT.com to download the game. You have to go through FreeWGT.com to participate and get your entries. Once you've downloaded the game, go to the closest to the whole challenge. You have to go through that. You can't do the other methods of play. It will not count your ball closest to the hole, and you won't be able to submit so be sure to do that as well this week's course is going to be st andrews and we're going to be doing challenge hole number four the fourth hole in the challenge this one is the one where you are playing out of the bunker from about 127 yards away i think it is just to confirm try to do another tough one here but first of all who put us in that position? Right. How did you what's, get there? What's, what you doing and get, putting yourself into a bunker 120 yards out, you patty? <laughs> so, yeah, tried to pick another tough one. Hopefully there aren't too many hole-in-ones on it. It's pretty tough with the wind on the hole. I think AJ just put it within like six feet or so. Yeah, 6.9 feet. So you got to get on inside of the nice number to, to win this week. Again, that'll get you either a free shirt or a gift card this week. And it will also get you another entry to the grand prize, which is tickets to an Avs game. Or if you're out of state, a jersey of your choos- choosing, which is still the best prize out there, in my opinion. So if you're out of state, you got to get in on this couldn't recommend it more. FreeWGT.com. Download the game. Closest to the whole challenge. St. Andrews. Fourth hole of the closest to the whole challenge. Get on in there and let's go ahead and jump into the show. But before we do that, just to remind you, you can send in a screenshot to info at the DNVR.com or at us on Twitter with your screenshot to submit. All right, let's do this. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. (laughs) 
Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or check out online on mygreensolution.com where you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are here to talk some Avs and probably talk some Toronto Maple Leafs as well, if we're being honest, as the Avs fell to them, ultimately 5-3 to three over the weekend. I honestly thought this was a very good game for the Avs outside of one 10-minute stretch that pretty much ruined everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think you'd have a hard time arguing that they didn't play well after that, but it's... First of all, this is a really great reminder of, because I saw a lot of people who are like, oh, you have to play 60 minutes to win. Obviously, you don't. Yeah, right. All you have to do is play 10 when the other you, team like, yeah, score four you have to play. You have to play a super effective 12 minutes and then chill the rest of the game. Yep. Because it just worked. It just worked. And the Avs, I mean, the Avs dominated periods two and three, especially the second period. I was I was feeling good about their chances to come back if they were able to get two goals in the second period. But yeah. when they dominated the way that they did and they could only cash in the one time, I was not I was not as optimistic going into the third. Uh when they did get it, <clears throat> excuse me, when they did get it as early as they did, uh with what, 12 13 minutes left to play, uh the new Chushkin goal, which wow. It happened. Um, <laughs> it was it was like okay, well, this is this is at least interesting now. But the that that you dominated a game that that way and still could not find a way. Um, disappointing, and you know, I, <sighs> McKinnon has the puck on a stick. He has an open net, and Cody CC blocks it. Yeah, sometimes that's just the way it goes. It is. It's hard not to feel a little bit like, man, if the Evs were healthy, they win that game. Um, I mean, yeah, I, it, you know, the Evs have been healthy for eight games this year. Right. It's been very not, fleeting. Not counting Colin Wilson because he was. He missed what, like the first like four games of the season. Yeah, he didn't start healthy. So really, they've been healthy. They've been like one hundred percent with their planned top twelve forwards for like four games this year. But Colin Wilson, Val Nichushkin difference on a couple of those games, not a major needle mover for me. Um, but I would say it, it, it because they've spent so much of this season already not healthy that I'm just. I don't spend a ton of time thinking about, oh, had they had they been healthy, had this gone, you know, their defense has been healthy and and their goalies are now healthy. They they should have had a significantly better performance in that first period against Toronto. And it was it was the worst period of the season and it cost them a game. And you only get so many you only get so many games in a season. You only get so many chances at points. And that's absolutely that Toronto game is a hundred percent one that they let slip away from them a little bit. I think is it, it yeah. just it got too far out of hand. 
where they couldn't come back despite dominating the rest of the game. And generally, I agree with you. The Yavs just kind of have to work with who's healthy. And every hockey team has to do that to some extent. Toronto was dealing with a couple of high caliber injuries as well. Not as many as the Avs, but there was still something there. The only reason I bring it up is because watching this Toronto team's offensive ability against a full-powered Avs team's offensive ability would be real barn burner hockey. It'd be a lot of fun. There's no doubt, man. It it would absolutely be a really good time. Uh, It's just that... I, I guess my frustration is that defensively, they had every reason to show up and be better than they were. And that's been true for a couple of weeks now. They, they absolutely should be better than they've been on the back end. Cause they've been healthy back there. They're healthy, man. There's no, there's yeah. Sam, Sam Gerard's perfectly healthy and he can't, he can't stop coughing up pucks. It's the Leafs game, or at least that first period of the Leafs game was kind of a culmination. We've seen a ton of inconsistency out of this defensive core. And usually the Avs would get away with it to an extent because, oh, player X or player Y would play well while the other was playing poorly. And pretty much everyone on that decor played weak in that first period. Even Kale McCarr, who was fine, wasn't flashing like he had been awful period for Ian Cole, awful period for EJ, awful period for Ryan Graves. It was just brutal. Yeah. And I think the shine has come off of Ryan Graves really quickly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, We were, I think it was like just two weeks ago, maybe you and I were having a conversation where we talked about Graves and said, this is a, this is a big development win for the abs. They've gotten a, a legit NHL player out of him. And uh, he's a guy that might make a might make one of these other guys expendable. And you know, we waited to to our credit, we waited twenty games to get into that conversation. You know, we waited till about a quarter of the way through the season. But even then, it looks premature because he's been so rough for the last two weeks that you know it's and it was a continuation from last year. The solid play was a continuation from last year. And so we felt like it started to feel like this was a real player. And now a lot of steps back in a really big, in in a really small amount of time. I think that it's disappointing. And I think we've just seen that there's a hard ceiling on what you can and can't get away with in terms of how you utilize him. Yeah. He's pretty locked into a bottom pairing guy. That's been made clear. And that's like that's okay, and um, and you have to, as I said to somebody on Twitter last night, you have to you have to know where a guy's ceiling is before you can start to work around it. And I think we watched him punch that ceiling pretty hard, and putting him next to Kale McCarr can't happen anymore. There's no reason for that to continue. Yeah. Um. Even even fully healthy under really, there's just not a situation where that should that should go back to being a thing. They're just guys who are going in different directions. Graves is trying to trying to prove that he belongs in that third pairing. I think he definitely does, but it should not be any more than that. The The problem becomes none of these guys, you know, Nikita Zadorov, we know that we know his roller coaster tendencies are very well documented. 
We've been talking about them for years with him here in Denver. And I think he's got to be the answer. If you if they insist on keeping Gerard and Johnson together, Zadorov has to be the guy for Makar. Come hell or high water, good or bad games, I think I think that just has to be. It's tough to find anyone else barring some of the new developments, which the reality is I'm not expecting a Callie Rosen or a Connor Timmons if it comes down to that to be in the top four immediately no. or likely at all this year. No, no. And like the Callie Rosen, you know, he did get called up. EJ is hurting. We'll get to that. But you're right. Like the this is not this is not a conversation about rounding out your top four with those guys. It's about min-maxing your roster. It's about improving your third pairing to the point where the third pairing is at least at least has a more variety of skills because, you know, right now they've got Zadorov, Cole, and, and Graves that are all kind of redundant. Those guys all give you kind of the same stuff, and with Cole and Zadorov, you have major penalty issues uh, to consider. Graves, it was just the two games, really. But Cole and Zadorov have shown over long stretches of their careers here that they're very penalty prone. And, you know, Barbario, that's another guy that we know. That's a third pairing guy. That's a seventh defenseman. That's a rotational defenseman. That is not a regular, you know, a a 20 minute a night guy for you. And I think that the top four question is more important than the third pairing question. But they definitely have to figure something out with that third pairing because none of them are playing very well. And when none of those guys are going well, I mean, it's it's just it compounds all the problems. Yep. Hard to argue with that. We will get into that more. But first, it might be time to pour one out for Eric Johnson. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. They were established here in Denver. Well, Breckenridge, Colorado in 1990 and are the original Colorado beer. Today we're talking about AJ's favorite, the Strawberry Sky, the sweet, fruity strawberry beer that everybody at the NBR just loves to drink. It's super easy to drink for anyone, really. It it honestly just tastes like I'm drinking like a little fruity fizzy drink. I don't even taste alcohol in it at all. So it's Kind of a great one to just kick back and and have an easygoing beer at any time, basically. Real easy. Got to love it. You can keep an eye out for it at your local Davidson's or any other local liquor store for that matter. And also keep an eye out on thednvr.com for the Breckenridge event calendar where we plan all of our events where we are drinking Breckenridge Brew at all of them, be it Strawberry Sky, the Avalanche Amber Ale, Colorado core or any other Breckenridge beer again, just awesome beer all the way around. Keep an eye out for it. Getting back into this defensive issue. It, it is kind of a culmination of, of all of the problems on the defense, right? The abs had been skating by a lot where it was like, wow, a lot of these D men are having a bad game. Cole would have a bad game. And Zadorov would have a bad game. Mm-hmm. The Graves would have a bad game, but that didn't come all together until that first period against the Leafs. Well, and, and that, and you know, a lot of, a lot of good teams are able to, <clears throat> let, let me, let me, let me start over. Let me, let me rephrase this. 
<clears throat> having a true top pairing allows you to get away with issues on your third pairing. What's going on in Colorado's third pairing is extremely normal. Those are third pairing guys for a reason. Those are the guys where you know that they're flawed players. They're going to give you up and down performances. The decline in Cole has to be a little disappointing because it just probably happened a year earlier than you were hoping in a three-year deal. Uh, But even then, you know, for the most part, Ian Cole has continued to be who he has always really been in his career. Uh, It's just that I think that the upside has not been as, as apparent this season so far. Um. That, Certainly the defensive upside, yeah. Right. And 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 I mean the guy's got eight points somehow. Yeah. Some so, voodoo magic of some kind going on there. Yeah, well, but. and I mean I, I, he did this last year too, remember? He had like ten points in the first thirty games or something. And uh, you know, but anyway, right now he's got as many he's got as many points as Sam Gerard. So you know, that's that's a problem for Sam Gerard. Yep. And Argue. that's Argue that. that's where I'm going in that your top pairing has been a disappointment this year. The the Gerard Johnson combination, I understand why they went back to it and have not gone with more Gerard McCarr, although they go Gerard McCarr when they're losing and it's successful. Yeah. Um I get why they don't want to do it at five v five a lot, and it makes sense. Like, are you are you going to feel you know set aside Sam Gerrard's recent issues playing the puck? Uh, that's a that's a recent problem, not one that we expect to continue long term. But if you if you put those guys together, then you've got some combination of Zadorov, Johnson. Uh, Cole Graves Barbario. I'll include him for this for the for the time being. All five of those guys have serious questions in terms of moving pucks. If you break up Gerard McCarr, you at least feel like okay, you've got the potential for a very good puck mover, at least moving the puck from the defensive zone out on two of your pairings. And I mean, I think that's where a Rosen or a Timmons comes into play on that third pairing. And then you can manage a middle pairing of a ZJ or something like that. That's a shutdown pair. Well, and that's why, you know, they did call up Callie Rosen. And based on what Bedner said today at practice, we might be looking at a world where he gets a look. He gets an opportunity. Because... And and that I think that look, Callie Rosen is not going to come in and fix the defensive problems. That's not who Callie Rosen is. It's not what you're asking him to do. He's not going to come in and magically just fix your defense. But he I doesn't mean, have to. Things have happened, but yeah, I agree. He doesn't have to. All you want him to do move the puck for sure. Exactly. And you know, we talk about we've talked about on this pod before that what is defense even? You know, what is what is a good what makes a good defender? Because it seems to be that a lot of people just want somebody who's good in his own zone. What does that mean? What does it mean to be good in your own zone? Because it seems to be a moving target for everybody, right? And with a guy like Rosen, what you're going to get as an upgrade from whoever he ends up replacing, 
when if this happens if and if it's EJ it's less so uh but if it's a Cole or a Graves uh then and I think those are the two guys that really need to be having the conversation right now about sitting um his ability to retrieve pucks move pucks quickly uh and and skate with opposing forwards those are his upsides that's what he gives you, and that's what you don't have with the guys who are in there right now. You know, we just saw Graves played a played a role in the the Capitan breakaway, which was the game winning goal in the Toronto game. Uh, Cole, I'm not entirely sure where he was there. He was kind of caught in no man's land. Uh, yeah, he made a terrible decision to step I mean, up. But the the thing the thing with that though is that what does he do? Because if he immediately turns around and tries to skate with Kapanen, he loses the foot race. If if he doesn't try to, uh, if he tries to go in and like block the shot, maybe lay down in front of the puck, he goes all in, he misses it, the same thing happens. I I just, he was caught in no man's land. And, and I think it was, he, I think he made a bad play because... When you're when you're in an all or nothing situation, the one thing that you can't do is make no decision, and that's what he did. And I think that's why I was frustrated with it. But yeah, Comfort both Comfort and Graves put hung him out to dry. Absolutely, Comfort and Graves should take the heat for that play. A terrible pinch by Graves, and then Comfort reengaging just right. totally left him up high. I still think it was a bad decision the way Cole basically took himself out of the play by you you put it correctly he half stepped up and then didn't fully commit which put him nowhere right and that's that's what i'm saying if you're in an all or nothing position you can't make no decision at all you have to choose something yep. he either has to try and skate with Kapanen and get back or he has to step up and try and prevent the pass from happening at all and he sort of kind of havesies committed to stopping the pass but didn't make an aggressive enough decision to put himself in a spot where he really could. Yeah. So that's, and that's bad. Like that's, that was the result. But the problem is, is that the the real problems on that play came before Cole ever had to make a decision. For sure. Decision making before that was brutal. And that's where Rosen will be able to help is that you, you won't be throwing a Cole Graves out there. Where you're like, if one of these guys decides to pinch, if one of these guys abandons the blue line, you're requiring a forward to play defense, like an actual defensive spot now, uh, because skating-wise, they're not going to be able to get back. They're not going to be able to handle it. So I'm, I, I, like, I like the idea of adding in a, in a Rosen, but I think, as always, you have to temper your expectations. Yeah. You know, this is this is a dude with very little NHL experience and while we like the skill set, like there's it's not super encouraging he's at his age and has not broken in yet. Anything that comes out of it should be seen as a bonus to the defensive core, not an expectation. Yeah. I mean anything anything positive. Right, right. And we'll go ahead and take our first break there because we're starting to run long here. But as the Avs try to sort out their defense, 
maybe you need to sort out your taxes. And there's a new alternative for addressing those needs. Symbio Tax and Administration provides its clients with honest and knowledgeable tax services from a licensed professional. You guys know we're all about taking care of our own. And George over at Symbio Tax is a proud DNBR subscriber and a diehard Avs fan. When you have a small business, you're looking to rent out a room in your house, or if you just need to get your tax return filed, go to a qualified professional to understand your tax requirements. Don't end up at one of those retail tax chains. Call Symbio Tax today for a free consultation. You can reach them at 720-366-4470 or visit them at symbiotax.com. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O tax.com. Second segment of the DNVR Avalanche podcast, or should I say second period, presented by The Green Solution. I'm still Rudo. He's still AJ. We've talked about Rosen getting potentially added to the lineup. The issue there could be Eric Johnson right now listed as day-to-day and questionable. Obviously took the big hit in the Toronto game. Alex Kerfoot boarding him from behind with a cross check right to the numbers. Weird situation, though, where he got up almost immediately, was very Mm -hmm. clearly shaken up, and then spent the rest of the game kind of going back and forth between the trainer and trying to play, clearly in discomfort. And then it also seemed like he may have gotten injured in the lower body as well. So just a rough night for EJ. Yeah, the after the hit was interesting because he came back out. Evan and I were closely watching him on the bench. We're sitting up in the press box and and keeping a very close eye on him, right? Yep. Um, comes out at the end of the <clears throat> comes out at the end of the period on the last shift. Rushes up the ice, fires a puck wide, and immediately skates off to the bench and just goes down the tunnel. Something wasn't right. And he knew it right away. Nope, this is not right. Comes out for the third period. Intermittently goes back into the training room. Going back into the locker room. uh, At one point, gave his gloves to the trainer uh, and was just sitting there. And then several minutes later, got the gloves back, went back out on the ice for another shift, came back. Sat on the bench, just every time there was a stoppage in play, skating around, stretching out, trying to just trying to stay loose. Whatever was bothering him, he didn't want to tighten up. And it just it just looked like it didn't get any better. Did not uh did not practice today, as you said, day to day. We'll see. But they really can't afford that injury. Uh even the people that are convinced that Eric Johnson is terrible and is washed up and is completely useless. I went back and checked this morning. I I, I went back and looked at it uh, over the last 10 games. Uh, arguably has been their second best defenseman in shot metrics. I Just by default, I mean, you can get excited about potentially a Rosen or potentially a Timmons, but you cannot expect them to bring what EJ brings, even on a rough night. Right. I mean, you EJ is such a difficult guy right now to, to evaluate because he's morphing more into a defensive defenseman and he's learning how to do that on the fly. He's there. 
he's yeah. always had value. So much of his value has always been tied into his two-way play. And now, you know, when him next to Gerard, um, him ne- even next to Zadorov, it's more of a, all right, we're going to gear this back. We're going to scale the offense uh, from you back, and we're going to ask you to, to play a safer, more stay-at-home style of game. And he's adjusting to that. And it's, again, it, an imperfect idea of what defense is makes it really difficult to evaluate how effective he is. Certainly does it. The, you're getting into a, a systemic question here, and it is certainly an adjustment for EJ Tusak back. But we've seen a lot of that out of him. Of he's still learning. Okay, how far is too far to sag back? When do mm-hmm. I need to step up into plays, and when do I need to play a bit more aggressively on the defensive side to round out that defensive game? Right. It's it, the whole thing is an adjustment for him. It's very, <clears throat> it's very, what's next for him in the evolution of, of him as a player? This uh, is how he gets longevity out of his career is becoming this type of defenseman, right? Right. And, and how effective is he in this setting? Yep. Because so far, it's been a bit shaky, admittedly. It, it, right. And... It's an adjustment, you know, and we just need to see how this goes. I I still think I would take EJ over the non-Gerard and McCarr guys on this defense 10 times out of 10. Right. And when you're talking about defensive defensemen, I mean, the Avs' other options are Hope, Callie, Rosen, or Connor Timmons are ready enough to do it. And then after that, you're talking about Mark Alt, Kevin Connaughton. That's those are guys that you know aren't going to be able to fill EJ's shoes, right? I mean, once you get into that, I mean, if if they get into the seventeenth defenseman like they did the forward core, things are going to get very weird. <laughs> yeah, very very strange, very quickly, no doubt. If that ends up happening, the thing about EJ is. I do still think there's a lot of talent there. I don't think he's lost as much of a step as a lot of people seem to think. Uh, You're kind of touching on that saying it's just stylistically he's been asked to play a much more passive, much more defensive game. I do question how much room there is to grow there based on the way EJ plays, relying heavily on those physical abilities. Yeah, the physical abilities have always outweighed his ability to think the game at a, at a high level. You know, and we've taught we've touched on this a number of times on this on this show recently that physically EJ has always been very talented and he's been able to get by through a 10-year NHL career because of that. Because he's just unbelievably talented. But he was never able to put the the full package together because of his shortcomings on the on the mental side of the game. And now that his physical abilities have started to decay, he, he has to rely more on the mental side of the game. And we're seeing those adjustments. And it, it does feel a little bit like he's bashing his head against the wall at times because of that. Yeah, I mean, he's a frustrating guy. 
Yeah. And let's let's not romanticize Eric Johnson's time in Colorado. He's always been frustrating. It, it hasn't been this up and down until recently, but yeah. I mean, he is that's the thing though, is that he's always been this. He has always been a guy that you always, always have felt like you there could have been more there. Yeah. I would agree with that. And this is no different. This is absolutely no different. You feel like you are 6'6", and you are super talented, and you have great feet, and you just don't use them. You just sit around. There, When he's not going well, he's just standing around, just hanging about. And it's so frustrating to watch. It just... Eric Johnson will be one of... Will go down as one of the generations, one of best like what could have been yeah injuries certainly play a significant part in that as well definitely i mean what happens if the guy does not tear his knee up and kick off an entire career of battling knee problems uh you know with the golf cart incident in his second in his sophomore year in the nhl yep. could have been a whole different world for a guy who's so physically talented if he could have kept that physical nature healthy it would just be even that much further along in that regard. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's getting knee surgery every other year, basically. But well, and and we see him, you know, every time, you know, we he has cut practices short. He's the one of the first guys off the ice of both practice and morning skate, and it's entirely about preserving the health. He doesn't want to put any unnecessary wear and tear on his body, knowing that he is an injury prone guy who. One bad tweak, one bad step, one any of that could could result in something major for him. Yeah. And it's, so he's he limits the amount of exposure that his body takes outside of games. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of an impact that has that he isn't sitting after practice and, and messing around with the skills coach and working on all these little things to his game because he's just trying to preserve health. I don't know what kind of impact it has, but you have to feel like it's not nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason the best players in the world are Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon training out of their minds all summer, every summer, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I'm not, I can't say that I'm familiar with his, uh, his training outside of the work sure. that he's done in the past with Andy O'Brien. So I won't venture into that territory because I just don't know. But I just all, all I can speak to is what I've what I've seen over the years, and that's that he's always one of the first guys out of there because he's trying to stay healthy, and that's it's a smart approach. If you were an injury prone guy and you were out there rink ratting it and and you know doing the Ryan O'Reilly with the tires and the all the props and all the little things that he did all the time, and you know you tear your knee up messing around doing that one day, you know it would be fair to question why are you even out there? He's one bad practice away from being Colin Wilson and just disappearing basically. So right, why take yeah. the risk? Exactly. And I think it's, I think it's a smart approach for him uh, and it's, and it's worked. He's been healthier the last couple of years. He's been healthier than really ever in Colorado. And, you know, I think the, if there's an upside to, I think if there's an upside to what he's currently battling, it's that it's probably not knee related. And for him, that's good news. Yeah. Cause if it's knee related, you know, he'll battle that all year. That'll carry on into the summer. Yep. 
100% wood. The other side of this coin, which is a bit interesting, is it was Alex Kerfoot. Almost certainly no ill will there, really, but... Can't imagine. XAV, you know, the situation was interesting where Kerfoot was given two minutes on the ice. As we said, EJ popped right up after the hit, but was very clearly not happy about it, Mm -hmm. and then had whatever these lingering symptoms are. And now we know that Kerfoot has been suspended for two games because of the hit as well. Uh, Yeah. The two situations here, I guess, that are interesting, right? The suspension and its length and how it was handled in-game. Right. The Avs have had some adventures with how things get handled in games this year. We'll just put it that way. They put a review system in place yeah for assessing major penalties if this was a suspendable hit why was there no review for it to be a major penalty right the i've talked about this with offside challenges as a bad thing actually where because it's a reviewable play with an offside challenge it encourages refs not to blow the the whistle and allow the play to continue mm mm-hmm. mhm but in a case of a major penalty, I think it's a good thing to be calling things majors and reviewing it and then being able to adjust after the fact. For sure. And I mean, like, call it what call it what you think is on the ice. You know, obviously, go about your business. The review process is in place to make sure that it's correct. I just it just feels like this was an obvious. I tweeted it out immediately. Evan said it to me immediately. It wasn't a major penalty because EJ got up. If EJ had stayed down and like, it would be, it would be, that's frustrating to me because feeling that way, you know, what if the, what, what if the players feel that way? You know, now you're encouraging a guy to stay down and then you're having the Matt Calvert conversation all over again, where, you know, you're not trusting that a guy is actually hurt. It's why we should not be penalizing the injury here. You know, you have to penalize the act. And I guess, I guess that was my point. I've made my point. If, if, if the penalty or if the hit from Kerfoot was worth suspending in the league's eyes, why was it not reviewed to be a major? And what, what, what kind of accountability is, is in place? Or did, did those officials get a phone call from the league saying, Hey, you need to go back and take another look at this. Or do they just shrug it off and move on? That's, the question that we still don't get to know. We've talked about that multiple times as well. Have the refs come out for two minutes after every game and they'll have an explanation of why it wasn't a major or, or whatever. And then at least there's a working off point. I mean, just let us know. Right. Let us, even if it's not after the game, put have, have there be some sort of like a public scoreboard for, for officials so we know that something is going on here that that somebody is doing something about this because i don't think i don't think it was an egregious oversight i think it was que- it was a tough spot to be in and it's a it's a questionable it would have been questionable had they given it a major i i just think that and i don't want to i don't want our podcast to always be us railing against officiating you know but at the same time i just wonder why there's nothing outwardly being done to about any of this. And yeah. it's, I, I hate being in the dark on this stuff. 
Right. Officiating is incredibly difficult to do in the moment. It's very, very hard to do that job at an NHL caliber level, but the reality is that it could be better. They're starting to implement things to make it better. Why not take advantage of them? Yeah, and a little frustrating, but it's fine. Like, the the Avs had – in no way is that why the Avs lost and would never make right. that argument. No. It's not – you know, maybe something different happens if they have a five-minute power play instead of a two-minute power play. Who knows? We'll never really know. But, you know, maybe they score twice on that power play. Maybe they score none. And it changes the rest of the game and Nachushkin doesn't get that goal. Who knows? You never know how things change. But I would I would like to have at least seen that there be some sort of review. I mean, they put that they put that in place over the summer, use it. Yeah, exactly my point as well. When you have something, you might as well use it. If it isn't a good system, you can sort that out and and deal with it once you've tested it. Mm -hmm. But that's going to do it for the second period of this podcast. Sounds like we're going to get a lot of snow tomorrow, that being Tuesday. So if you're looking for some Breckenridge brew, but you're not wanting to leave your home, that's where TotalBev.com comes into play. And they're having a fantastic deal for the DNVR fam. They're offering 30, that's right, 30% off your purchase of $25 or more. It's so popular that they had to put a max of $75 to the deal, which is still fantastic to get 30% off. Use code DNVR2019 online or on the Total Beverage app, which you can download today. As you may or may not know, Total Beverage delivers to most of the metro area from Lakewood to Boulder and Aurora to Brighton. Plus, they have the lowest prices in the state, and they now offer CBD products. That's right. From drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today and receive 30% off your purchase of $25 or more with a max of $75 again. But it's still a fantastic deal, and you don't have to leave the comfort of your own home. Cheers. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. Around the league, as we've talked plenty about the abs here, Mike Babcock gets fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs immediately win their next two games. Tyson Berry has three points in those two games after not recording a goal up to that point, and two of those points are goals for him. And now as... We start to get further away from Babcock being attached to the Leafs. All these stories are coming out. It's about how he ran the team. And, well, things are just starting to get messy. AJ, what do you make all of this? First of all, I'm glad that people are pushing back against this. Uh, I I think it represents a good thing, right? A a shift in the way that we think about what coaching should be and how to treat people. Don't be a dick basically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've always, we've always looked at coaching, you know, when I played sports, I don't know how much you played sports growing up, but a lot. Okay. So when you were playing sports, did you have a lot of negative coaches? Absolutely. (laughs) Did you see my and my dad was my baseball coach. Uh, well, one of my baseball coaches. So 
I'm sure that colors my experience a little bit. But my hockey coach, uh, you know, <laughs> my basketball coach, um, my I guess you don't really have a coach in golf, but my golf like instructor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, all of those really like mostly positive, you know, would would yell at you if you did something wrong, but it was mostly a, it was, it was constructive, right? Like I didn't, I didn't ever feel like, I didn't ever feel like I was, they were coming down on me and I never really felt like I was letting the coach down. If I did something wrong, I felt like I was letting my team down, but I never viewed it in the way of like, Oh, I'm afraid of my coach. I, I would agree with that personally. Like I never felt like a coach was particularly angry with me, but Mm -hmm. watching like some of the coaches coach their own children, they would get pretty angry. (laughs) Yes. Well, and my dad just communicated with me, you know, because he, again, like my, was my baseball coach for many, many years. Um, and, and it was always just, he would let me make mistakes. He would let me do dumb stuff. And then he'd be like, hey, this is why this was dumb. And this is why we don't do that. And, you know, never singled me out. I never I never felt different. I always felt like I was part of my teams and all that. And I never and I never felt like my coach was coming at me with the kind of psychological warfare that this was. Yeah, I and is this something that is much more prevalent in hockey and that kind of old boys club mentality of hazing and, and things like that, that we hear so much about in, in coming up through the hockey systems. I, again, um, just can only speak to my experiences very similar in, in football. Yeah. And, and that's, I never played football, but right. I, I, yeah. I was in, uh, you know, I was, I was the sports editor for my high school newspaper. And so I was around all the sports teams all the time. And obviously when you grow up in small town, Texas, high school football is where it's at. And despite the fact that we had a nationally ranked track team that dominated everything, um, we had, we had a really not good football team and the coaching was very negative and no surprise they weren't very good um i think that just from my experiences that a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about with babcock and the warfare and the negative approach uh was very prevalent when i was around uh you know just in just just that that football team they for a couple of years you know they they were not there wasn't a lot of support there was just a lot of it was a lot of coming down on guys there was a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming and a lot of pulling of the jerseys and the getting in kids faces and like you're talking about like a 45 year old dude like screaming and spitting and you know hollering in the face of a teenager it was insane even that even back then i was like nah mm-mm. you know yeah. It's definitely an interesting juxtaposition for me because I've I've seen that happen to other players like on my baseball teams, as I said, oftentimes it's usually the coach's son that that ends up getting happening to. But it was a weird juxtaposition for me because I played on a fairly competitive baseball team growing up, traveling around and, you know, we, we made it out to some 
relatively large tournaments. And one of the things that some of these teams would do, including ours occasionally, is they would take us to see like sports psychologists and things like that. And the psychologists would always be preaching this positive attitude, positive mentality, positive situation type stuff. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I didn't really need it that much. I always was a fairly even keel guy, but mm-hmm. I do wonder where those mentalities kind of started butting heads with a lot of the younger generation being told, Hey, always positive, always keep things on the level, be happy, enjoy playing the sport compared to this negative motivation style that we see a lot of particularly coming from older generations. I do wonder how much of that is, you know, the, I don't want to, the generational warfare that's going on right now. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I imagine, and again, can only speak to my experiences and I can't stress that enough uh, that I am not speaking for everybody and I'm not speaking in, in, you know, for an entire generation here, but I'm a millennial and it certainly, it seems like <laughs> that the gen, our older generations, you know, the uh, whatever the generation, I guess it's X, right? Uh, between yeah. between the boomers and between millennials, uh, it seems it seems like there's a lot of disdain for millennials, and I only gather that because how many articles and things have been thrown around in the media that blame millennials for the degradation of absolutely everything to do with society. And it just seems like everything, everything is the fault of the millennial. Right. And I wonder how much of, how much of this is an old guy, you know, an older, an older coach who's had a lot of success that is not comfortable you know, you look at you look at Babcock's career, he always had veteran teams, right? And then he shows up in Toronto and they go with a massive youth movement that brings in Nylander and Matthews and Marner and all these all these really young players all at the same time. How much of it is a guy that just doesn't know how to talk to a millennial, trying different things? It certainly does have that feel to it to a certain extent, if you're asking me. Um, I am because we've seen how many times have we seen, Oh, the millennials, you know, coaches don't know how to connect with players today. You know, we, we saw the whole Fortnite situation play out. Right. Well, and we, we even saw, even in the Avs locker room, there were certain guys that just could not connect with a head coach. And one of the big differences between previous eras and the current era is that Jared Bednar has connected with his locker room. And created uh, a bond and a unity and a and a we're all in this together kind of mentality, and he was able to to bridge that to to, to bridge that gap right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know all the details, but everything I've heard about the Babcock situation, it just sounds like a bunch of things that are a real fast way to lose a room, not to get one to come together. Right. And I mean, you're absolutely, you're pitting, pitting guys against each other, you know, and supposedly the guy that the guy that he singled out that Marner singled out and all of that was Kadri and Kadri went and was like, Hey, like 
they had that conversation and uh, I just think <laughs> it's honestly, man, I, I think that it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I just, just from a perspective of how do you motivate a, a hockey team? How do you get a hockey team to come together? Because I've said this a bunch on this podcast over the last few years that I think getting the right head coach, winning a Stanley cup is really difficult. You have to have a really good team, but you also have to have the right head coach that sends the right message and connects with the team on the right level. You can't win a Stanley cup without that. You don't necessarily have to have a great head coach, but you need to have a head coach that, that just lands his message and it ends up being a successful one. Right. And it, it's, it takes so many of those things to come together. At very least, you need a head coach that doesn't actively limit your team like Babcock very obviously and painfully was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, there were there were systemic things that any of us watching that team this year could look at and say, this is a problem. Yep. Like, there was no doubt. And we talked about it over the summer that Tyson Berry was going to go to Toronto and good luck. Like, you're going to – Tyson Berry is a unique, a unique player and – and getting a head coach in the middle of the season that cuts him loose and just lets him play his game is exactly right. what he needed. <laughs> Being able to be him. Yep. And I I it was it was interesting. I think it's been interesting over the last couple of days to see these stories start to come out and like we look, there have been a lot of stories that have followed my Mike Babcock for a long time about player his players hating his guts. But he was successful. It doesn't matter when you win, right? Right. They they it, you know players could hold their nose and get through it because they were winning and they attributed some of that success to him. I I don't want to make too much of this into a culture conversation about the hockey culture and because I don't think it's a hockey specific problem. Um, but I do, I do like that as a largely as a culture, I I've, you know, and maybe this is just the echo chamber of the people that I follow and the, the social media that I'm exposed to, but I have seen a lot of pushing back against this that, and I haven't seen a lot of that. Oh, everybody's so soft these days stuff. You know, I've seen, I've seen a lot more of, support for Mar- for Marner than I, I I think realistically than I expected. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I've certainly seen a decline in the the side of toughen up kid side of things over the last half decade or so. Yeah, and I think it's hard to draw that line cuz like life is hard and things are not going to be easy and you know the world doesn't give you safe spaces. But at the same time you can you can still be sensitive and you can still be effective in communicating with people in on a humane level and playing mind games with a, with a rookie just for the sake of it. What are you doing? Yeah. Who, who's benefiting from that? Right. Like what do you, what are you realistically getting out of it? What's the upside that the veterans are going to work a little bit harder because the rookie thinks you're lazy. Like all it's gonna, all you're really gonna do is create resentment there. Yeah, it's. 
I don't. I've been thinking through it a little bit, and I I wonder if it, you know, is Babcock still thinking in a mode of where NHLers break into the league a little bit later? The rookie, you know, has a long way to go still, and then he does that, and then Marner puts up sixty one points that rookie season, and now he's one of the stars of the team. And did it just backfire in every way? <laughs> Was it about, I mean, alternately, could it could it have been about just dropping the rookie down a peg? Especially a rookie who had as much baggage that followed him to the league as Marner did. Because, and I say that because Marner's dad was very well known around the OHL as a very high-maintenance, hands-on, classic, meddlesome hockey dad. Yeah. And so, you know, is there is there a is there breaking them down? You know, is he just, is that it? You know, and there are some guys where who need to be broken down like that, who, who are very arrogant and kind of need to be taken down a peg and rebuilt. So how do you figure out which of those guys that's true for, and how do you go about breaking them down in a way that makes sense versus the guys that that's not true for? I mean, option one on my list wouldn't be sell them out to the rest of the team. I would agree with that, man. I don't know what that's about, but yeah. I I really do wonder because there are guys who need that, who need that discipline, who need to be broken and rebuilt in in a very specific way that, that will get the best out of them. There are lots of guys out there who have had successful careers who will tell you that they needed that. So it's not like let – Mitch Marner come in and just run the show just because he gives you 60 points as a 20 year old, you know, that's, that's not the, that's not what I'm saying either. Just that it's, how do you, how do you balance between the two communicating in an effective way, but also knowing when to draw the line and when to be a hard ass on it with the, with a certain player. Certainly Babcock missed the mark. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> Well, and that's and that's an easy one to look at because you really do have to ask yourself, what are you getting out of this? What's the upside of this? Where's the benefit? Like all all I'm seeing is a guy just being a jerk. Yeah. I agree with that sentiment. I I tried to look at it as, you know, maybe he can trying to spur the veterans on a little bit or something, but I at the end of the day I just come out as Wow, that looks terrible in every way. <laughs> All right. Yeah, final thoughts on the NHL, Babcock, the Avs, whatever you got. Um, going to be a weird week for us. It is going to be a weird week yeah, with, with Thanksgiving in the middle yeah, of games. <laughs> Thanksgiving right in the heart of it and not knowing what we're going to do. Um, I don't know. Very excited about the couple days off to hopefully get them healthy. Miko Rantanen, a possibility for Wednesday, much more likely for the weekend. But the the national nightmare of Miko Rantanen has only played in a third of Colorado's games could be over soon. Can't happen soon enough. All yeah. right. Well, pretty safe to say Mike Babcock isn't the top dog coach in the NHL anymore. But... If you're looking for a top dog electrician, 
Piper Electric has been serving the Denver metro area since 1983. Through a commitment to customer service and team performance, Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They work with the top professionalism and integrity in the biz, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, you have to call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. That's going to do it for this episode of the DNVR Avalanche Podcast. We made it through all three periods once again. As always, you will hear from us tomorrow.